It's a joint win. You are doing something good for the environment. You're doing something good from a sustainability perspective, but you're also increasing the worth of the rest of your business. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery Podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Welcome, everyone, to episode 102 of the Channel Mastery Podcast. So, so excited today to reintroduce VIP friend of the Channel Mastery Podcast, Wes Allen, who is the founder of Argo Agency, principal of Sunlight Sports, an industry speaker and adventure retail expert. I love that because, boy, retail is quite an adventure. Welcome to the show, Wes. Well, hi, Kristen. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be back. It is. I've really, I've been looking forward to this. We've been intending to do this for some time, and obviously we both are just sprinting in lots of directions. Before we drop into our topic today, which is the evolving equation of retail math and the air war and ground war that supports successful retail math today, which I think is going to be an incredibly powerful episode, I would love it if you could give us an update because you have a new basically tagline, I think, what I just read there. Like, tell us about your company, Argo Agency. So Argo's a very exciting thing that we've um, been working on here over the last about a year. Argo is an agency that's focused on helping brands maximize the benefits uh, they get from working with really quality special, uh, specialty outdoor stores and specialty retailers. So what we do is we partner with brands, premium brands, and their best retailers to develop programs that maximize the benefit for both partners there, right? We go in, we can produce content, we do a bunch of other things, but what we do in the end is help brands build demand and help them utilize all the great things that happen when you partner with the top specialty accounts to uh, maximize everybody's business. So. And it's, that's a little nebulous, but it's very flexible because it's really dependent on the brand, their goals, and what their uh, retailers do and what the retailers do. Well, I have to say it's not nebulous at all, to be honest, because number one, it's focused on brick and mortar, okay? And it's focused on aligning all the arrows, all of the brand assets, brand equity to create adhesion. That's your word, and I love that, between the consumer who's online researching and the store that they ultimately want to go to because 90% of retail purchases, so purchases, I guess, are made in brick and mortar retail. Thank the good Lord, baby Jesus, right? That that's still true. Yeah. And, you know, I think even as uh, 
retail and everything else evolves, we really focus on kind of the connective tissue and that omnichannel experience. There are always going to be and will continue to be addressed in the online component of what goes on, whether it's content delivery or whatever else. But a true quality brand that really blows up and has this omnichannel experience utilizes a great brick and mortar experience. It utilizes good content, utilizes making sure to are finding a way to express their brand voice in such a way that it matters to the consumers they want to attract. And that's what we help people do. We actually act as a extension of their marketing structure to help them tie that omnichannel piece all together where it fits specialty Could there be a more perfect company to be aligned with Channel Mastery? I think not. I don't think so either. We love what you do, obviously. I came into uh, the Argo offices this morning to record this, and uh, one of my coworkers was listening to the the Channel Mastery podcast with Mark Sackowitz. Oh, awesome. That was a great show. And he totally gets it because we did a version of this around his event, and I'll put links to that episode. But um, there's so much to explore around this, which we're going to get into today. Uh, we're going to fold in Argo in several places because it it is actually important to the air war and ground war that we're going to be discussing here. And this is super important as you head into holiday 2019 and as you're planning for 2020. So it's so it's perfect timing having you here today. I'm going to just preface this question Please don't check out when I ask this question because it sounds so boring and so 1985. We are literally using this as a foundational jumping off point to get into the stratosphere around what is going to work to engage today's connected consumer. What you're going to hear on this show today is literally going to teach you how to win the attention of a consumer who is completely overwhelmed with information and noise online and drive them into a brand experience that you're co-presenting with your trusted retail partners. So I'm going to ask the question now with that preface. So Wes, why is retail math more important than ever today? (laughs) Well, I would tell you that retail math is more important than ever today because the um, competitive environment is sharper and faster than it's ever been. And um, competitive pressures come from a lot of different ways, a lot of different directions. The importance of retail math is this. It enables you to be as profitable as you can, however you're approaching it. And it enables you to withstand some of those competitive pressures. It gives you the space to adapt to them and then to fit into the new environment that you find yourself in. And we find ourselves in new environments daily in um, the outdoor space. No matter how you're trying to retail your product, a specialty retailer online, or hopefully an accommodation boat. So I'm going to bring in a little bit of a, like this is from episode 99 where I had Richard Kestenbaum, another VIP channel mastery friend. Uh, and I'll put this link in there as well. But we talked about broader retail, Richard and I, in that program. So please don't think that I'm talking about our specialty retail ecosystem when I when I bring up a couple points here. But basically, Richard talked about 
that, you know, store owners would look at similar metrics like store profitability and sales per square foot and growth in sales per square foot. And that is like the math is important. We have to keep the lights on. We have to make responsible buys and be disciplined. We have to know how to kind of move through the season in a profitable way. But what we're here to talk about today is how to like nail that, but then the plus, right? And also engage be remarkable too, and enable a call to action that actually gets your end consumer to do something. And ultimately today, that's all about experience. And they want to raise their hand and join up with your store and the brands that are in there. So we need to kind of start with the basics. So in our rehearsal call, you talked about um, Jim Roy, gross margin (laughs) return on investment. So let's start there and talk about any updates you have to that equation, because I know you gave a presentation on this recently, and then you and I can, I think, pull that out or tease that out a little bit so that it's super, super relevant to the specialty brands and the specialty retailers who tune into Channel Mastery. Yeah, I I will tell you that uh, I did just get done doing a presentation for a brand, um, helping them understand how the 19, the very 1985 type of term Gemroy um, is still the critical ingredient and how that moves into, you know, almost 2020 now. So just to back up, Gemroy is a, as an acronym for the, the phrase gross margin return on investment. And basically what it means is this, like, Think about the stuff you're going to sell in your store um, as being an investment, right? You've got this this stuff. And on average, let's say that you've got a million dollars in um, this investment. That's It costs you a million dollars to get this stuff and put it in your retailer on your website, whatever it might be. Gross margin return on investment is simply um, a measurement of how many dollars are you going to get over a 12-month period if you have a million dollars that you maintain in an investment in stop to sell okay mm-hmm. and um you know this has been a, a critical metric i would i would put it as the critical metric in traditional retail for a long time there's a bunch of different ways to use this not everybody uses it and with all measurements that happen in retail you know you have to know all the contacts like what time frame are we talking about? In the down What type of product, etc. What kind of product? Like what time frame are we talking about? Are you measuring just new product, measuring old product, whatever it might be? There's there's a lot of those things that you have to dial down so that everybody really speaking about the same number. Mm-hmm. In general, let's just talk about you know some of the, the categories that you and I have come into and really engaged with. Like I should say, we came out of and really engaged with historically, like you know, sporting goods in general. You kind of had to, the traditional thinking is you kind of had to have a two point eight Gymroy in order to survive, and and basically that would mean if your average investment, your your business is a million dollars worth of stuff, you had to sell enough of it that it gave you two point eight million dollars of gross money. And that's a very old school way to think about it. But sometimes, like they say, the old school is the best school. That's that's still a really important way to think about it. However, you know, we don't just put stuff out into stores and into the ether and hope that they sell anymore. We've got to do a lot more work. 
we've got to provide a, a great experience for people. We have to have um, really compelling environments that aren't just rows and rows of stuff stacked up. And so now we need to really start thinking in a new way about how does the return on investment, how does the profit we get out of our business uh, flow from the investment we make in? That's what we are here to talk about today. Right. So let's talk about that. You know, we have a, an interesting mix. We have direct first brands, legacy brands. We have legacy retailers and we have retailers from other markets that may want to do pop-up shops or tap into our, you know, our specialty zone specifically. Um, so let's, again, that goes back to all the competition out there for the attention of our, of our target consumer. Um, let's talk about how when you actually take this and you make the buy, and you have to do this in a way that is, you know, kind of keeps the assortment, I think, exciting, compelling, refreshed enough so that when they do actually decide to come into your store, I mean, that's a win right there, right? Think about all the things that have to happen before that happens. Talk about how you have to really nail this and get it right in order to have the, I think, the bandwidth, I think, left over and possibly extra investment from doing this well to actually nurture and convert this consumer who actually walks into your store. Thank goodness, right? So, you know, at a, at a base level, we have, for all of our businesses, we have so much we can spend on our businesses and we have how much money we need to make in order to still be here next year, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the old school way, like I'm going to look at all my math and I'm just going to buy a bunch of stuff and it all sells. I'll still be here next year. Now, what we're thinking about is this engagement part because we still need to buy and sell things. We still need to provide product out. We have to also, we cannot invest actually quite as much in product as we used to because there's all the other things that really drive um, engagement, whether it's events, whether it's online content, whether it is investing um, doubling down on the investment in the people that are working in the business. What that means is that you're going to be pulling money that you traditionally just would have invested in product and hope that it sold and maybe it sold once or twice and generated some 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 margin, some just profit that you could see. We have to take money out of that investment. We have to put it um, somewhere else we're going to be engaging customers with, with events and everything else. What that means really is we've got less inventory we've got less things to sell so those things have to sell better and they have to be chosen better they you know to use a kind of a kind of a passe term now they have to be so curated and efficiently costed and everything else your engine got smaller and so it has to go faster to get you the same distance i love it Totally. And, you know, I think one of the first conversations we had probably two years ago, and this was not on the record, like we were just chatting about something, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there now. When a retailer just crushes it in this regard, they can actually have things on their own terms because they become almost like a platform in and of themselves that the brands need to be on, period, the end. Yep, that's exactly right. And when you start thinking about the business that gets done is a is a is a bigger piece where maybe there's not necessarily separation and animosity between a manufacturer of a product and somebody who's representing it in a physical space. 
but both um, parties think about it as a partnership. And you think, okay, we've got X amount of product. How are we going to maximize the income that comes off of that product? What are we going to do? How are we going to invest in it? Well, you know, as a retailer, you know, you would know that you would need to buy stuff that will um, engage people, but will also sell fairly quickly. This gets into thinking a little bit differently because in the past, for retailers, they would say, oh boy, there's these things that I always knew will sell. They'll sell quickly. Those are the only things I'm going to buy in my store. But having that aged product from the same stuff that you did two years ago is not um, a good way to make money. For, for, for brands and manufacturers, when we sit on that side, oftentimes we're trying to move our brand into a new spot. We're trying to engage a new consumer. We're trying to bring something fresh to the market. And so we put a lot of money into um, PD. We put it, you know, we spend all this time, samples, everything else, marketing bandwidth. We provide this new experience and this really cool, innovative piece, and we want it to be put in stores. But because the stores have to be very efficient, they're less likely to pull it up. And so the store makes less money, and the brand maybe on the brand side, we've just wasted some money. So we need to think about how do we make that new product become an efficient part of a, a retailer's inventory and something that they're going to make a lot of money on and still return our investment on the product design we did and the marketing that we did and you know the shows we went to to, to, to push this product. And so we have to think about the gym roy that we get out of that, that product in a whole new way. Which means that our investment in some ways needs to go to a really smart spend where we're engaging people through events through um, brand bump outs, whatever it might be. At the end of the day though, if we wanna have good partners and we wanna stay in business, no matter which section we're in, we have to have this engine that spins off cash. And so we need, and that uh, amount of cash that spins off of that engine is measured in something called Jim Roy. So we can talk about how people can move some of that around in the new environment to really maximize the profit that comes off the things we can buy and sell. I would love to talk about that. But first, I have to ask, I had something pop into my head. Larger format retailers who, you know, kind of wield a heavy hammer, if you will, with us, and I don't have to mention names, might recover some of this in slot fees, their version of slot fees, right? Yep. Right. They definitely can. The MCAT tax or whatever you want to call it. Yep. Where uh, brands are actually um, paying money to, to be represented in, in high... What we're talking about with slot fees is, you know, your pay for play. Yeah. You're showing up in a, a piece, you're showing up on a certain rack, you're showing up in a certain time and place in the store. Yeah. Larger retailers sometimes will recover lost opportunity, lost profitability that way. Right. And that's not obviously what we're here to talk about today, but I just wanted to point it out because I've been doing a lot of strategic planning meetings with Verde's clients. And that is something that comes up as a cost of doing business that seems to be going up year over year, which is interesting because if we're looking to our larger retailers, as we always have, I'm just going to say it, the REIs and MECs of our world, right? They are doing this because they're basically deploying a larger version of what Wes and I are talking about here today, the retail success equation, which again is 
air war and ground war. So let's talk about a few ways. I'm going to go ahead and tee one up for you here. So let's say we're trying to promote a directional product, obviously marketing, that's me. And now you, obviously, you've always been a brand guy, but you have a, a channel marketing agency. It's not the right way to call it, but uh, we see that it's really important to have that directional product that sometimes buyers or even reps in sales meetings would be like, hell no, no one's going to buy that. You know, I know what sells and there's a little bit of a bottleneck there. But I think what you're saying is if we're able to create a brand retail cohesive partnership and we have something like a directional brand that we could feature, it creates lift for the brand itself and all the other products the brand sells within that store. So can you talk a little bit about some of your firsthand experience with that in the past couple of seasons at Sunlight, but also now with Argo? Yeah, I've seen it both at Sunlight and with the partners we've worked out uh, with Argo, um, you know, that we can promote a directional product and we can build a program, we can build an in-store presence and content and, and do all, utilize all these tools um, to promote that, that product and maybe see some success with that product, enough to keep it going, but then we see growth otherwise. As a matter of fact, Right before we came in here, I was looking at the feedback from one of our retailers that we partnered. It was a retailer that one of our brands and uh, we had them fill out a survey and we asked them specifically about the performance of a particular product. And then we asked about performance and brand overall and you know what their takeaways were. The takeaway from this report particularly was clear. And that is the, the item that we were pushing, the, the, the thing that we built the direction, you know, this directional product that we built the um, the campaign around did pretty well. Like, you know, it sold like you would expect a product in that category in that store to sell. The brand doubled its sales in that particular retailer during the time that we had the campaign going. All the other stuff, all the other things that the brand had already been known for had sold much better than they had experienced before. And that's exactly what you hope directional product will do. You know, you'll, you'll sell some to people who are discovering you in a new way, but it also elevates the whole brand. I think this ties back to the slot fees in that, you know, in a way, slot fees, investing in um, cooperative marketing campaigns, investing in um, specifically driving um, new customers to these directional products through um, great partners, it's an investment. You can either, you know, you can spend money on slot fees but no matter how you do this, you're reducing the risk for one of your partners. Slot fees just makes the stuff cost less, right? Investment in a more kind of holistic brand experience reduces the um, chance that stuff's not going to sell. It's how you want to invest it. So a retailer can ask for pay to play or a brand can also offer um, an innovative way to um attract people to that product and grow brand adhesion. In either way, you know, you're having to put money in to reduce the risk because the retailer can't risk their Gemroy engine slowing down. Right. And the brands need that outpost and they need it to do an exceptional job as a brand partner, like with the local dialect in that community. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the other things we talked about, right? Just to kind of give this a little bit more form, we, and I hope I'm not jumping forward too much here, but we had had this conversation about how efficient it is to have 
used and recycled gear. Yep. Let's go there. I, that was right on my next question. So perfect. So, you know, used and recycled gear, awesome from a sustainability standpoint. Fits in with a lot of consumer ethic that's going on right now. And it seems through, you know, what we see through studies and everything to really appeal to a, a demographic that people find desirable and they really want to interact with their business, right? Like there's a very conscious consumer that's coming that's going to be valuable for everybody to have. Well, at the end of the day, um, talking with brands that do this and with other retailers that do it, bringing in secondhand gear in and of itself, if you just look at the Gymroy on that particular product, it's not very high. First and foremost, there's a lot of associated costs with cleaning and all that kind of stuff. Um, you're at a reduced price point already, and you're not going to be able to sell it for as much as you would need. That's one of the, the things that attracts people. However, you know, when you make that investment in maybe living your brand promise or adding to your brand promise by showing people you're invested in sustainability and reusability, you get some return on that investment, but what it does is it also makes your Gemini engine on the other stuff you, you uh, own spin faster. It's not just about how much money are we going to make off of selling new stuff. It is about how efficient and how effectively are we going to be able to engage consumers in our overall brand. The great thing about things like the use gear and the sustainability thing is it's a, it's a joint win. You are doing something good for the environment doing something good from a sustainability perspective, but you're also increasing the worth of the rest of your business. And that's a new way to think about Gemroy, right? It's not just about the stuff you sell. It's like, how much are you spending over here to make that smaller pie that you now have sell even faster? Right. And I think accentuate your brand, as you were saying with the secondhand stuff, it makes the new inventory more profitable because it brings in traffic that appeals to a very specific consumer. And again, we always have to keep our target consumer in our crosshairs going deeper with brands that share that same target consumer that makes sense for your region, your community, for your store and, and the brand experience that they expect when they come there. You're, you're essentially giving them more value by saying, we have this over here. It can be multiple brands, right? You can carry lots of brands if you're carrying used product. But at the same time, you're accentuating sustainability, approachability with that assortment. And it brings in the type of consumer who is interested in the other house of brands that you have. Yep. And then, you know, it's a cyclical process because let's say that you're uh, somebody who's invested in, in this uh, used gear thing, the sustainability thing, right? So let's bring those folks in. Then you have the opportunity, whether you're a brand or a retailer or you're both, you have the ability to go and look, to look and say, okay, I'm working really hard to bring this demographic in. What other experiences do they want in? Should I take a little bit more money out of my inventory? Should I not buy the fourth place uh, style of bike shoe, right? And I'm going to take that money and I'm going to... Um, develop a little bit more content so that when the people are uh, are invested in the usability, the sustainability piece, the reuse piece, what else am I going to do to engage them? Like one of the things that I believe in, I know you prior guests have talked about before that is highly effective there is a lot of people are realizing they need to double down on there. Um, oh, I was just going to go here. So perfect, perfect timing. We are in the business of 
playing up humanization of brands, especially as we're competing more and more with the algorithm training that is happening every day to our target consumer. I mean, they have to buy their commodity items. They're getting used to getting two-hour pickup if they're in cities, et cetera. But what we have is a relationship. We have a human ideally manning the helm, womaning the helm <laughs> in specialty. And this is also something that cannot be legacy thinking anymore, all right? Because we used to tie this to Jim Roy. This was part of a cost of doing business. And think about yourself in a year. Think about the experiences you want to go, think about the brands you want to go deeper with, and then think of your frontline people. Do you want to have somebody who is like looking at their watch because they're making minimum wage and can't wait to get out on the river or whatever it is? Well, that's going to happen no matter how much you pay them in our world, of course. But like what I'm saying is pay them so that they feel like they're worth being the brand conduit. They are literally a connector, as you say, the connective tissue. We talk about that too. And it's the connective tissue between the brand, the retailer, and the consumer. It's the triangulation piece right there. Yeah, all those people that form that connective tissue, all the people that are um, consumer-facing in our brands, the old-school methodology of looking at this would be looking at payroll percentage. What percent of my sales am I paying on payroll? And and asking, is that payroll per- like is that payroll percentage too high? Like, am I being profitable? The question we should ask ourselves now is looking at that and going, is that payroll percentage too low for me to be profitable? Have I, am I spending enough money to actually get the experience that makes the rest of my business work? And so doubling down on the investment in your employees and, you know, maybe it's wages, it's probably training opportunities. It's all the other things that you pour into your employees. The question we probably should be asking in the new economy when we're talking about these types of brands, is our payroll percentage high enough? Yep. Because people, the continuity of that person, they are literally going to be creating that emotional connection by sharing their stoke. Period. The end. (laughs) They are. I will tell you that anytime you walk into a new retailer, anytime you engage with a new brand in any way that you are, let's just even say that it's like a brand that's sponsoring a festival and you walk up to um, their pavilion, right? The first thing you see is the sign, and the second thing you see on the thing that matters is the people that are there, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I think you need to think about that spend that you have on those part of your investment that makes your gym return faster. It's not separate; it's all tied together. And when I say the people who make those first contacts, I'm not just talking about people who are working at your neighborhood bike shop or outdoor store, right? It's the people that answer the phones if you're a brand. It's the people that monitor your social media contacts. If you're a store or a brand or whatever it is, like having those people be good is a, a cost of doing business that we probably should spend more on. And at the end of the day, it's there's a direct line into the retail map, into making sure that your inventory is turning as fast as you need it to turn in order to stay in business. Because those people pedal the thing that turns the engine. Absolutely, especially in our world. So I think that's fantastic. So ultimately, what I think we're talking about here together, again, every show we've done, is focusing on the consumer experience, 
not focusing on what you have historically, how you've historically made money. We see that within the brands. We see it at retail. We all love to go back to what we're comfortable with or an equation that works during a very trying time in terms of not having a blueprint or a blueprint that's always changing. But ultimately, as we say, the North Star is the end consumer. And as you're looking at brands that match up with your target consumer and how you can engage them in the before, during, and after that's going to give you, I think, so much new IP on your business, number one. As you say, the new economy, that's what it's all about. It's the journey and what what does the brand play in that journey and then where does the retail like star in that journey? Yeah, I think I think so. And I think the thing to, to remember, you know, from a just a straight business perspective, as you talk about how that journey works, is this. At the end of the day, all these businesses that we're working with, we're working with these enthusiast products that are supposed to be fun and they stock our stores, but they do have a downside, right? And it's a downside we have to overcome. And that is that as an industry, pretty much all consumer industries make a rapidly depreciating product, right? We can't we can't do business in such a way that we can just let things sit around and hope they settle because the cycle is now if you're no matter where you're involved in this ecosystem, you're making things that you spend two years developing retailers order nine months in advance. You, you know, if you're a brand, you're paying factories, you're paying people to go back and forth and look at the factories. Retailers are paying people to go to shows and look at samples. You're investing a ton of stuff in and when they deliver You've got about 60 days for them to be really profitable before markdowns and promotions and Black Friday completely devalue the worth of your investment. That's one of the reasons that being on top of the math is really important. And it's also one of the reasons that understanding that that's a rapidly depreciating thing, that you have to build a lot of support and through your employees, through your marketing, through your partnerships with you know the other half of the equation. You've got to overcome that rapid depreciation to just get that stuff to turn. And again, it's about that turn. It's about the gross margin you can produce in a very short window of time. Where are you going to, where are you going to invest to make that wheel spin faster? And we like to talk about growth hacking, as you know. Look at your business, because here we are. We have a, a reflective moment. We're toward the end of September 2019. <clears throat> Obviously, People are on top of their budgets. I've never seen them on top of budgets like I have this year because we have no November show and the June show was early. So that's been amazing. So take the opportunity to look at what are some of the multi-channel approaches you've taken as a brand and a retailer, so both sides, that have really worked in terms of creating turn at retail or growing your house email list or whatever it is. Like that, those spikes, that's what you need to try and hack and engineer into your future. So whether it's looking at holiday or whether it's looking at Q1 of 2020, what are some things that have worked that you want to carry over? Ask your brands for help on that and vice versa. Brands, ask your retailers to partner on some initiatives. What can you do to point the arrows in in the same direction together? Because that is actually one thing that hasn't changed, Wes. When we worked with Athleta probably seven or eight years ago, and they had multiple product drops a year, we would literally, Verde would create the awareness at the time, it was product placement and media relations we were hired for at the, with that client. We would create the lift and 
get a great placement in a magazine on a specific Capri, they would merchandise their storefront, their catalog, like every channel they had so that when that magazine dropped, everything was pointed in that direction and they'd send out a promotion on it, it would sell out. There's really no difference. It's just a matter of looking at the channels, looking at your partners, looking back and seeing what worked, and then deciding, what do I want to be known for? What can I plug in from those brands that's going to really accentuate who I am? And the brands that fit with that, it's like an orchestration of perfection when you really look at it that way. It totally is. And that's, again, I know we've talked about this before. That's why building trust with partners that allow you to do that is so important. Because at the end of the day, you know, when when Athleta was able to do that, it was like this omni-channel thing that was all connected. Mm-hmm. We work with partners that are in other businesses. We have to decide who those key partners are going to be, who we're going to trust, and then both halves of the equation have to work together to maximize the return and reduce the risk involved in directional product or commoditized product that we all see in business of. So let's challenge everybody, like try and find a couple of things you can try between now and the end of the year that are your version of this brand, retailer, and multiple channels driving toward an initiative. Yeah. For, for retailers, you know, the challenge is simply this. What brands are you willing to help build up for the long-term health of the brand and the long-term health of your store? For the brands, it's the same way. What are you going to do? How are you going to invest in a very specific way to increase the um, productivity of the merchandise that you're sending out into the world? And uh, when you start having that conversation and people are looking at each other's businesses in that particular way, you can find some real success. I know we, I know we can because I've seen it already. I've got real life examples of that already happening. Yep. And then I have to say too, this is the version brands, even that brands that have their own storefronts, their own retail monikers, this is important when you're working with a brand that is multiple brands. I'm sorry, a retailer that sells multiple brands. So you have to really think about a diverse strategy. And boy, this has been so thought-provoking. I literally feel like <laughs> since we've talked on record here, I have come up with like five more shows we could do together. <laughs> My brain is just like, it's going like crazy. So as always, you have been an incredible, incredible guest and taught so much here. Let our people know where they can learn more about you right now in Argo. I know I want to say LinkedIn because Wes is very, very good with LinkedIn. You'll learn a lot there, but tell us about where we can learn about you. Follow um, you. So obviously my LinkedIn profile is a good place to start. You can learn more about Argo at Argo, A-R-G-O-T, agency.com. Um, and, uh, then if you want to get a feel for the retailer that I, I work with, that's sunlightsports.com and that'll give you a good feel for the brand as well. He's so... See me in Cody, Wyoming on your way to Yellowstone. There you go. And he's so humble. 2018 Retailer of the Year, Grassroots Outdoor Alliance. Well, so. yeah, that was, that was awesome. I'm very proud of our retail environment. Really fun. Some great partnerships there. Look forward to hearing from everybody. Yep. And I also just want to say, can you give a shout out to the two people you work with there? Because they're wonderful. They are fantastic. My um, two partners are uh, our brand director is Matt DeWitt and our creative director is Megan Baumeister. And they are, they're highly talented people. I'm very fortunate to get Yep. I just think the world of them and you. So thank you so much for joining us here today. And I'm sure we will have you back again soon, but a very sincere thank you, Wes. 
Oh, thank you so much, Kristen. It's always awesome to get to get on uh, Channel Mastery and have a conversation with you. It's fun for sure. And we'll do it again soon. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advance notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings like our brand new digital resource and membership that's opening up in Q3 2019. Thanks for listening and see you next week.